Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Avenue's minor league podcast. I'm Steve Saipa, and I'm joined this week by Lucas Wahos and Ken Levin and Thomas Henderson. How's everyone doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Good, good. Life is better now that the Mets aren't playing, which is a depressing <laughs> sentence. Yeah, less things to get upset about, I guess. All right, so this week we're going to start things off with an email, and as noted, it could also double as promote extend trade. So, Matt from Maryland wrote, quote, Lucas has mentioned a few times he likes the idea of trading Ronnie Mauricio. I mean, I'm nothing if not a broken record on this show about several topics. It is true. So, would his preferred return bring back, A, a similarly ranked prospect, B, a multitude of lesser heralded prospects that could be, uh, that could add depth to the system, or C, a big league piece that could slot into the 26-man roster. I guess this question also works with promote and trade. Tell Rango I say hi. So A, thank you, Matt. B, we will tell Rango. And C, which outcome would you guys prefer? Lucas, since this is your question, you can go first, I guess. Okay. I mean, I'll start by saying... And I think we're all aware of this, but it's worth saying up front. Like the premises are a little arbitrary, right? Like it really depends what you're getting in each of these frameworks, but let's work with it. Um, I don't, if there was an equivalent prospect for prospect trade, at least based on public rankings, I would do it, but I don't think, like I can't remember the last time there was a, a notable one of those. Um, I was thinking about the last time I could think, and I, I don't know if this is the last, was Jesus Montero and Michael Pineda. That's like, the example I had in my head, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That might be the last big one. Um, I just didn't see the point. <laughs> I mean, if you, if you could, if the, let's say uh, I should have prepped for this, you know, BP <laughs> top 50 midseason. Okay, if I pull up baseball prospectus's top 50 prospects from the midseason list, 40 is Ronnie Mauricio. 
Okay, so 39 was Kybert Rees, 41 is Shea Langoliers, 42 is Daniel Espino, 43 is D.L. Hall. I like Espino. Uh, 45 is Dylan Dingler. Right, so if you called up one of these teams, if I went and called up the Indians and said, hey, you seem to have a pretty full rotation, and you also seem to have a thing for our former shortstops, so do you want another one? Like, I would do that, but that kind of stuff just doesn't happen. Yeah. They, teams uh, pretty much just stick with what they have prospect-wise. Which I think is stupid. Like, they should be more willing to do this, but it just doesn't happen. I mean, but who do they have the most information on and the least information on? It? Right, exactly. They have the most information on their own guys, and maybe not the least information, but less information about other guys. So I, I get why it's not more common. Yeah, I think you run into like a catch-22 of the other team saying, well, what, what do you know that we don't? Why are you trading this guy, right? Like, this becomes... Yeah, because if you're doing it for a major league player, like, it's right. for salary reasons or rebuilding reasons or whatever, but if it's just a straight prospect for prospect swap, I'd be a little skeptical of you coming in and being like, hey, you know, like... I think this person, this prospect is the same as this one, but it's a need. It, I, I, I feel like it's trust issues with that. <laughs> I, I mean, we've all played fantasy sports. Someone comes calling, offering you a deal that looks real good. You're thinking, hmm, why? Yeah, that I don't. I legitimately never accept trades for. <laughs> uh, you're that person. That I hate actually, you in all my that guy again. <laughs> no. Um. So yeah, let's, yeah, that's not going to happen probably. And I also don't think – I'd also say – how to phrase this? If I had faith in the Mets to evaluate well, which I don't, I'd be interested in taking a bunch of prospects from Ratio because I don't think he's very good. And I think if you could evaluate well and you hit on one and a half of the guys, you'd get back more value than Mauricio. But I don't have any faith in them to do that. And they're also in a spot where they should probably be trying to win and they need major league help, which is – so all this is a long-winded way of saying the best option here is trade him for a major leaguer like, I don't know, Frankie Montas, maybe if the A's blow things up a little bit, something in that vein. Um And failing that, trade him for an equivalent prospect and failing that, Trade him for a bunch of prospects. Agreed. That's what I was leaning towards. Yeah, I, I really, if you're gonna trade a prospect, just get a guy from the, like, the whole point of this is to make your major league team better, no matter what, right? Like, even if we're doing a minor league podcast every week and deep into the offseason and in like December and January and stuff, I still wanna see the actual Mets, like the major league Mets win, you know? As much as I wanna see Syracuse and Binghamton and Brooklyn and all them, like, the Mets winning a World Series is the point, right? So if trading Mauricio gets you closer to that through a major leaguer, that's my main goal. And if somehow they get a prospect who's a little better and a team thinks Mauricio's a little better, then sure. But I still think like you're trading him because you're trying to win a World Series like next year. <laughs> I also think it's possible you could trade for a guy. I'm just using Montez because that's the name that, I like the most, but that you could come up with any number of names here. You could trade for that guy. And when, if and when things aren't going well at the deadline or something, 
get relatively similar value back by trading him then because prices typically go up at the deadline and there's a desperate contender who needs a starter right now. And also back to the core idea of I'm not a Mauricio fan, like probably get a prospect with a not totally dissimilar tool set or public side ranking. Um, yeah, trade him for trade him for someone with a little bit of control at the major league side who could who could help there. I mean, and this is a different conversation now, but I even think that more bad teams like should sign some veterans for yes. one year with yes. the with the sole purpose of trading them in a few months. Like, sure, maybe the player doesn't want to do that, but also some players might just want a major league job and will take that anyway. Like. Why don't the Orioles sign like two or three solid veterans and then just with the idea of getting a prospect? Even if they're a marginal one, it's still one more prospect than you had before. This is, and, I mean, I think this is the argument for a cap floor system or cap progressive tax system hard cap like the NBA has because you'll get bad teams who will overplay mediocre players and then I mean, we don't need to get into the details of how the NBA salary cap works, right? But they'll, in effect, pay down their contract and trade them for assets. Like, yeah. if, if, if rebuilding teams actually were rebuilding and not just being cheap, they would be spending like, hey, uh, uh, once again, I didn't prepare for this. MLB trade rumors, 21 to 22 free agents. To fill time a little bit, this also happens in hockey where teams need to hit the cap floor. And they'll trade for a guy who's going to be on long-term IR, and they will just trade him, and it'll it'll affect the cap. Like it'll reach, they'll have them reach the floor, and then they'll put him on IR with the intention that he never plays for them. So like, and you get prospects for that, and you get picks for that because you're helping another team with their cap situation. So like, I think baseball teams need to be more creative in that sense, and they just aren't. Like, the Orioles just go out and, like, we're going to lose 50, uh, 110 games. Like, that's boring. Like, you know? Like, you could do that, and also you could trade mm-hmm. someone at the deadline for an extra prospect. And maybe you lose 107 instead, and you still end up with a top whatever pick, you know? Like, mm-hmm. the the level of veteran you're signing is not going to make your bad team good. It's just going to make you get an extra prospect at the deadline. The name I'm going to pull out here is like Nelson Cruz. Go to Nelson Cruz agent and say, "Hey, you're 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 on the back end of your career. No one's going to give you more than one year, and they're not going to give you a ton of money. Plus, there's a chance the team you sign with is shit by the midseason. Sign with our bad team. We'll give you 50% more than your best offer for one year, and you're basically guaranteed that we're going to trade you to a contender at the deadline." You can even let them help choose. Like, yeah. who cares at that point? Like, it's a free prospect. You know what I mean? Like, work with him. But no, they just want to save money. Yeah, it's that's yeah. that's spending money that they don't want to spend. So, which is a a problem we've talked about almost every week now because it's a problem with the game. That's maybe the biggest problem in the game. Yeah, absolutely. We wandered from that initial promote extends trade. Anyway. Uh, what's new? I think we all basically agree. You want to get, you know, a major league piece, most importantly, and then barring that, a prospect who is just as good and least attractive would be uh, a hodgepodge of players. 
hoping one of them maybe pops and becomes as uh, good and or perceived as good as Mauricio. Mm. I do want to see the fan reaction of a prospect for prospect swap straight up because I feel like no one would know how to evaluate it. <laughs> yeah, like it's usually just like question mark or shrug emoji. Yeah, I'd be like, okay, everybody's just <laughs> like, like, what's happening here? Yeah, why? I think something something like that is probably easiest to criticize because kind of meaningless in this context. Rankings are all over the place. If you trade your number three guy for a guy who's ranked number five but is an actually better player because another system is better. You're gonna yeah. get that reaction. Oh my god, you're trading three for a five, you downgraded. And that's like, a, that's yeah. the problem with team specific lists, and I think they're yeah. they're bad for that reason because some problem with ordinal lists generally. Yeah, of course. But like the team specific specific lists are my least favorite because it just lacks any context at all. Yep. Let's say you wind up with Carlos Cortez, number ten prospect. I mean, because he might be, but also yeah. <laughs> it also like. That sucks. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. but it's like if you don't if you're not plugged in like that, it just looks like number ten prospect is good. And yeah. and I don't blame because I before I was super plugged in, I would do the same thing because how else would I know? You know? Exactly. It's not the fans' fault. Nope. Before we move on, while I was just kind of looking stuff by uh, up up related to this question, I found an interesting article that Ben Lindbergh uh, wrote about ten years ago, so it might be a little dated at this point. But um, he wrote something on BP that prospects that were developed by one team and then traded to another team, this is kind of interesting, are three times less likely to develop into average players or better, which he defined as three war or greater per season over the course of you know a couple of years. Hmm. Part of that, I, I guess, is statistical noise probably because the elite guys are, are traded less often. But it's kind of interesting. I'd be I'd be interested. I've not I'm not familiar with this study. I could think of several confounding factors, such as you're training them to a worse team that is probably by definition worse at development. Mm. Um, and uh, I had another one in mind, and it has <laughs> left my brain. So. Yeah, but well, that's exactly you know that that's the the core of the issue is that you know you could have a player. That you drafted and started developing, and they are following, you know, ABC kind of developmental path, and they do these things that the Met, you know, that the Mets say do, and then you trade this player to another team, and all of a sudden they're doing, you know, XYZ things, and they're put on a separate developmental track, and all of a sudden, you know, they have to do things that this other team does. The the, the most Obvious thing that I could remember was a lot of the trades between like the Mets and the Pirates over the last five years or whatever it's been. Like, uh, what the hell is his name? Blake Taylor. Yeah. Mets oh, yeah. had him. He was like a top prospect, kind of, or, or first round pick or whatever it was in in Pittsburgh, and they had him do like throw curveballs because they like curveballs there. And then he came to the Mets, and they're like, "Oh no, 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 no. don't throw your curveball. We like sliders. Throw sliders." You know, like that kind of stuff will impact the player. Mm-hmm. It does. And coaching staffs and things like that. You know, the Mets are good at developing pitchers, and then you go to another team like, oh, yeah, no, we suck, <laughs> you know? So there's a million 
you know, factors as to why that may be. And there's also factors that we won't ever really know sitting mm-hmm. here, you know? Like, there's stuff that happens in organizations that will never come out because they just keep it tight, and that's just how stuff works. Speaking of the pirates, there was that crazy Navy SEAL shit that they were doing. That oh, probably, yeah. yeah, that probably had a uh, negative impact on things. I forgot about that. Yeah. We're as shitty as the Mets are. At least we could always say, at least we're not the pirates. <laughs> All right, so um, we have a bit of news this week. So the first thing we can talk about is the Arizona Fall League. Because the AFL rosters have been published, uh, the Mets are going to be sending eight players to the Salt River Rafters, not the Scottsdale Scorpions, who have been their AFL team since uh, 2013. So opening day for the AFL is going to be the second Wednesday in October, which is the upcoming October 13th. And then it's going to conclude on Friday of the sixth week of the season, which this year is going to be November 19th. Um as we discussed a couple of weeks ago, the AFL, they're going to use all those experimental rules that Major League Baseball implemented um, this past year. So the eight Mets that are going are, it is four pitchers and four position players. Uh, the pitchers are going to be right-handed pitcher Garrison Bryant, right-hander Connor Gray, right-hander Colin Holderman, and right-hander Brian Machuire. Position players that are going are third baseman Brett Beatty. Uh, I guess he's an outfielder now. Carlos Cortez. <laughs> catcher Hayden Sanger. And infielder Wilmer Reyes. So we'll start with the position players. Brett Beatty. Not going to really talk about him too much. Obviously his inclusion makes sense. Excellent season in 50 games of Brooklyn. Had a, a slightly not as good but still great season with Binghamton. Uh, 40 games. He hit 292, 382, 473 with 12 homers and basically a, a 2 to 1 strikeout to walk ratio for the year. He's a top prospect getting a little seasoning in the AFL. Boom. That's, that's what it's there for, you know? Don't get hurt. That's it. I yeah, that's basically. That's, I don't really care what else happens. He'll be fine. Don't get hurt. Have yes. fun hitting rockets to the moon. Yeah, especially there. <laughs> off, of, off a bunch of pitchers who are just completely gassed. Completely mm-hmm. hosed, yeah. He's going to hit something stupid. It's going to be hysterical. Speaking of, that's a real depressing slate of pitchers. Well, yeah. We'll, we'll get to them in a minute. Uh, Carlos Cortez, kind of divisive guy. Uh, started the season off with Binghamton super hot. Then he pulled off as the year went on, and he ended up hitting 257, 332, 47 in about 80 games with 14 homers and uh, about a, a two to one strikeout to walk ratio. Uh, you know, uh, it's kind of weird to me being someone that's pretty lukewarm on him to send him to the AFL. But then again, it's really not like there's too many other guys in the system that are are better. Then, you know, number 10 prospect, Carlos Cortez. Oh, boy. Yeah. It is. I just let him go. Whatever. Yeah, it's whatever. Like, for everything we, for everything we, all the Carlos Cortez chat we've had over the years, um, he's probably going to be a big leaguer, so. Yeah. Why not, why not get him more reps? Steve, they paid a million dollars for him. Twice. They tried. It's true. 
well, someone that probably is going to be a big leader is Aiden Sanger. We've talked about him in, in the past a bit and how his prospect stock has risen this year. Um, this is his 24-year-old season. He played in 61 games with Brooklyn and Binghamton. Most of them were in Binghamton. And he hit 263, 341, 429. The peripherals weren't great. He did have a, a four to one strikeout to walk ratio. And that isn't good for a guy that doesn't really have too much power. But he's really a defense first catcher and any offense that you get from him is, you know, icing on the cake. So it, it is what it is. And if he can learn to hit a little better in the AFL, super. He's going to be that classic backup catcher. Yep. He plays good defense, hits like 200, but runs a 200 ISO or something with no walks. Major Henry Blanco vibes. Yeah, yeah. He's going to replace Nito when Nito's too expensive. Yeah. Like that's, that's basically. Defense might not matter in five years for catchers, but, you know, whatever. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> we'll deal with that when we get there. Yep. And then the last position player is Wilma Reyes. Uh, he came back towards the end of the season. Uh, he was out because of a torn knee ligament, and he ended up playing 16 games with St. Lucie in Brooklyn. He went 20 for 68 in total with a pair of doubles, pair of homers, six walks, and 10 strikeouts. I think this uh, is what I'd use it for, uh, guys who didn't play a lot because of injury. Yeah, Just absolutely. Now he gets to play a little more than he would have previously, like, mm-hmm. You kind of recoup some of his season. I like that. Yeah, I mean, 68 at-bats total, yeah. 16 games, it's not a lot. And I wouldn't call him necessarily a prospect, but I did like what I saw from him in, in 2019. He's a pretty nice swing, I think. Um, you know, he might be a guy that could develop a, a solid hit tool. So we'll we'll see in the AFL, I guess. Uh, get some more at bats. Weird thing with him though is is he's basically played first base this year, um, and he is definitely not a first baseman. But that could just be a, a, a result of you know a knee injury, and they're just like, hey, just hang out at first base, don't do anything crazy. Which I'm fine with. I'm in the yeah. minors. Who cares? <laughs> he, he's probably he's well not I shouldn't say probably he definitely is a second baseman he's not good enough at the arm for shortstop a third his bat is not traditional first base bat so he's he's a second baseman and I mean maybe he's a utility guy later and him having some first base experience helps yeah and it can hurt so now the pitchers uh, motley group first up we have Garrison Bryant. He's another guy who spent most of the year in the DL. He ended up pitching 18.2 innings. So, yeah, definitely a guy that you want to get some more work. Agreed. Um, here's the real curveball in this group, Connor Gray. Now, Connor Gray, when I was just like, oh, yeah, Connor Gray. And I thought about it a second, like, wait a minute, Connor Gray? Who the hell is Connor Gray? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm someone that's been following, you know, as we all have been, <laughs> This season, the, the system in depth, uh, I completely forgot about Connor Gray. He was a free agent that the Mets signed back in, in June, towards the end of June, out of um, affili- uh, uh, independent ball, excuse me. They signed him from the Chicago Dogs, from the Independent uh, American Association. Uh, he was originally drafted by Arizona out of St. Bonaventure University in 2016, a 20th round pick. And he spent the next couple of years in their system slowly moving up. 
and posting so-so results before getting released uh, last May when Major League Baseball canceled the season and then all of the teams made those those massive roster cuts to prep for this this new format with you know fewer teams. Um, over the over the off season, he you know worked out at a kind of like drive line kind of place, and he bumped his fastball velocity up from the low nineties to the mid nineties, so that helps. Um, he he posted a even four ERA this year in fifty four innings with Brooklyn and Binghamton. A solid 2.7 walks per nine and an above average 10.3 strikeouts per nine. But I'm not really sure what to make of this dude because the stuff doesn't really stand out. You know, it's an okay fastball, mid, mid to mid nineties, like I said, and then a generic curveball, slider, changeup. The numbers were okay, but he's 27 turning 28 next year. It's just not really the kind oh, of old. Yeah, like not really the guy you see and uh, typically see in AFL. I mean, yeah, yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just like, oh, sh- shrug emoji. Like, oh. Hopefully he's uh fine. Like, hopefully he, um, this is just him getting more reps and stuff, and he ends up, like, popping late. But you never know. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to, it's interesting to, to wonder if the Mets know something that is not really, that you can't really get from, the stats or from, you know, seeing a game or two here or there, you know? Mm-hmm. But, yeah, we'll see. Some of these decisions just come down to, um, like, what the roster needs, so. Yeah. That's true, yeah. too. And it could also be Like, that. I know the Mets often send backup catchers solely because the team needs a backup catcher. <laughs> Next guy up, Colin Holdeman. He was drafted back in 2016, but he doesn't really have much of a resume because he's just had all kinds of injuries over the years and then COVID last year and everything. Um, he missed time again this year, but for the most part, he pitched as a reliever instead of a starter. They finally said, you know what, just pitch at the bullpen, and he got a boost there. And 24 innings, over 15 appearances, he posted a 338 ERA with 16 hits allowed, 8 walks, which comes out to a 3.0 walk per 9, and 27 strikeouts, which comes out to a 10.1 strikeouts per 9. Um, converting to relief, it, it helped him consistently reach the top of his velocity band more often um, he used to be kind of like a 93, 94 guy. Now he was hitting 96, 97 a lot, uh, which is obviously helpful. And it also lets him focus just on throwing his slider, which always has been a pitch that flashed above average. And now he can just be a, a fastball slider dude. And the Mets have obviously had plenty of success with guys like that. I look forward to him being mediocre for the Mets for three years before being released, picked up by the Mariners, and immediately becoming <laughs> an elite later. Yeah, on. yeah, that sounds about right. Hooray! And last but not least is Brian Matwire. He was drafted in the 40th round of the 2018 draft. He is living proof that solid players can come out of those back-end rounds that have since been eliminated. But in 36 innings this season, all in relief with Brooklyn and Binghamton, he posted a 225 ERA, allowing 16 hits, walking 19, which is a 4.8 uh, walk per nine, and striking out 
52, which is a even 13 strikeout per nine. Um, he is very stereotypical, very basic relief, uh, uh, pitcher starting package. Fastball sits in the mid nineties. He has the ability to reach back a little bit, uh, more and touch 96, 97. He complements it with a really good slider and an okay change. Very similar to Colin Holdeman and both had good results. So. It's it's just like the AFL is what it is. It's just extra reps. Yeah. Like I do want to say I wouldn't I would caution against uh looking too deeply into whatever happens either way with yeah. anyone. Now, just, are there any guys that yeah. you wish had been given AFL assignments over the guys that we mentioned? Not really. Like it is what it is. They're definitely more interesting arms in this yeah. vein, like maybe Eric Orsi yeah. or Adam Oler. But they also pitched a lot more innings, so they may be a little, little gassed. Because of how baseball is, you know? I'd rather not throw their arms out in the AFL in November yeah. or whatever it is. A couple of more relievers that I think are more, ha- have possible better upsides or longer futures in the, in the organization than, you know, Gray. Or or um, a, a holder man or much wire, but I mean it's kind of rearranging, you know, the the chairs on the deck of the Titanic. Really, I mean, Willie Tavares, I like him. Um, he was pretty good being converted to a reliever this year after being a so-so starter, you know, last year. A couple of other relievers: Tommy Wilson, Josh Hedgeka, Bryce Montes de Oka, you know. Guys that they don't have. Matsuzoka would get hurt immediately. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it's early in November. Talk about guys who could use less playing time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Talk about guys who need, he needs to not see a baseball. He needs yeah. to rest. Don't look at a baseball until February. It's, it's a catch 22 for me for the pitchers. For the hitters, I don't really care. Like, Beatty, sure, go not get hit 400 in the AFL. I don't care. But like, she, like, sure, they could get hurt, but also like, it's just let, like, you're not gonna like have a, Unless you Michael Conforto yourself, you're not really going to get, like, that type of injury swinging yeah. or playing the field. Like, one of my worst fears is, like, a legit guy with a future goes to the AFL and has Tommy John surgery because of it. And then you're like, well, that was dumb, you know? Yeah. Like, of course, these guys are still working out in the offseason, but it's just different in a game environment and having to ramp up and play games and being a bullpen and stuff like that. So yeah, I mean, it's a catch-22 for me. Right, by nature, you know, there's limited amount of pitches that any guy can throw that he has in his arm, and you want to use them for your own team in the best possible way, not for the AFL. And like, like, like you said, there's more, I guess, talented or guys with higher futures, but do you really want to risk that for them? You know, it's also it's also a real stretch to say there's a lot of guys who are much better than these arms. Yes, in this agreed, agreed. For newsflash, sure. Mets bad, Mets farm bad, Maybe. or maybe not bad, but ludicrously top heavy. And like you're not sending like a healthy Matt Allen. No, you know? I mean next year you probably, uh, yeah, next year you probably maybe depends what time he gets back exactly, but you might send Allen next year if he's still working his way back from TJ. If Would you send Gen? Yeah, if Ginn had come back two months later, I'd send him okay. to the AFL to throw some more. How many That's innings fair. did Ginn get in this year? Like about 70. Might actually have sent him to throw a little bit more. Fangraphs, please. 
it's never it never works when you want it to. Tangra. No, it's a uh, it's still better than BP most of the time, which is unfortunate because I'd rather use BP. But all right, he was over ninety. So oh wow, ninety. Okay. Yeah, he got up to. I can do math in my head. I almost have a PhD. Uh, <laughs> ninety two. So so yeah, exactly. Like. I think you could save his bullets for next season. Like yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't have a problem. Like, if you want to stop at just over 90, coming back from TJ, sure. If he only had 70, I'd send him. Same goes for Allen next year or um, the younger dude who also got Tommy John. Uh, Ventura, right? He got Tommy John this year, I think. Um, he had something. He, um, yeah. like, it, it, maybe a shoulder. It was some arm, though. Like, some Not arm injury, I remember. Yeah. Unfortunately. I can't remember specifically off the top of my head, but he definitely had some type of arm injury. Well, yeah, should definitely be uh, an exciting uh, AFL season. Sadie's going to hit like 450. It's going to be hilarious. Yeah, and his slugging percentage is going to be laughably high. Everything, everything he gets in the air to left field is just going to carry for two yeah. miles out of He's the park. He's going to have video game numbers. It's going to be great. <laughs> Here's hoping not on wood. All right, so obviously the season is over. Uh, the year was condensed because of coronavirus, so there was not a mid-season All-Star game, both the different leagues and levels this year. But MLB.com has been giving out postseason uh, All-Star awards, and there were quite a few Mets guys, so let's go over all that kind of stuff. Uh, we'll start with the AAA East, where Syracuse Mets play. Um, I'll just read the whole thing, so... First base all-star, you have Juan Yepes from the Memphis Redbirds. At second base, you have Jake Knoll from the Rochester Red Wings. At shortstop, Kevin Smith from the Buffalo Bisons. Third base, uh, who's also the MVP of AAA East, Adeline Rodriguez. From Toledo, wow. Toledo hmm. Marlins. Talk about a, a name to remember there. Remembering some prospects. Oh, yeah, that guy. <laughs> uh, That's your catch- oh yeah that guy segment for today, Adelin Rodriguez. <laughs> At catcher is Tomas Tellis from the St. Paul Saints. Three outfielders: Josh Lowe from the Durham Bulls, Videl Bruhan from the Durham Bulls, and <laughs> yeah, was very good. Khalil Lee from the Syracuse Mets. The DH is Ryan McBroom from the Omaha Storm Chapers, Storm Chasers. Then there's a right-handed starter, uh, Jackson Kawar from Omaha Storm Chapers. Why can't I say that word? Storm Chasers. Uh-huh. Left-handed starter, Matthew Libertore, is from the Red- Memphis Redbirds. Yep. And how, many Re- how many Rays are there? No, wait, he's a Cardinal now, but former Barker, Ray. Yep. And last but not least is Luke Barker, reliever, all-star from the Nashville Sounds. So, clearly, Soul Mets, uh... He deserved that guy here. Yeah, definitely deserves it. Um, and he was that's, I mean, in the outfield, that's some great company. Bruan's probably a top 20-ish prospect. I really like Lau more than most rankings have him, but he's a top 100 guy. Um, look, if you're, if you think the Mets, if you want the Mets to contend and are also penciling in Khalil Lee as an outfield starter, you're nuts. I still really like Lee, and I thought his AAA season was very impressive, given the power-speed-defense-walk combination. Like, the strikeouts are concerning, but 
Look, if he holds it in the if he holds it below thirty five to start his major league career, like he has so many other skills that I think he'd be a useful contributor. You don't hand that guy a starting no. corner outfield spot on a contending team, but if someone wants him- to get hurt. You yeah, let him play, and maybe he takes it. You know, yeah, like exactly. that's that's the exactly. idea. And like, if by some chance the Mets have like three crazy good outfielders, and he's the fourth, and he can play defense. Like, I think his defense show was major league ready last year, yes. as we saw when he was yes. striking out a million times. He was still like one of few. He won at least one the Braves game in Atlanta. Like, he made some crazy catches against Atlanta last year, and it's like his defense is for real. So yeah, I think I think a lot of people not. Might, might not realize how good Khalil Lee actually was, and they kind of have it in their heads, that pretty terrible stretch with the Mets. Basically, for the year, after a pretty poor start with the Mets and with Syracuse, he ended up hitting 274, 451, 500. 451, 500 is nuts. Yeah, with 14 homers, 8 stone bases. Yeah, that's an, it's an 18.3 walk rate. If you want, if you want to do like a post All Star break thing, let me arbitrarily draw this at I don't know uh, June sixteenth or something. Whoop! I messed that up already. <laughs> Refresh. Fangraphs continues to uh, confuse and beguile me. God damn it! I mean, he was pretty Rock. consistent. Yeah. 274, 448, 513. Now he's striking out more than 30% of the time, but that's a 60% better than league average hitter mm-hmm. for most of the season. It's good. And I yeah. saw that he had a 402 bat pip, which is pretty worrisome because mm-hmm. it's hard to maintain that. But in 2019, the last season that he played, double A, uh, Northwest Arkansas Naturals, which is the, the Royals team, he had a 374 bat pip. In 129 games, certain guys can just run high bat pips because they're athletic and speedy, and you know, hit the ball hard. Yeah, hit the ball hard. And you know, I'm not saying that we should expect him to run a bat pip next year between 374 and 402, but you know, he has two years now in a row. It, it is possible. It is theoretically possible. I mean, Tim Anderson does it. Yeah. Yeah. That's not saying, like, you, you should be making your entire organization out of that because it's hard to do. Like, people always are like, this is the year Tim Anderson finally doesn't do it, and then he does it because there's just something in his game. But, like, maybe Khalil Lee has that? We don't know. Like, he's 23 or whatever. <laughs> yeah, so definitely a, a good acquisition. He's also, like, at a position of need. Like, I hate doing the position of need stuff, but also like the Mets just had no outfield prospects at all. And I mean, even if the Mets did, he, he plays a good short, I mean, excuse me, he plays a good center field. That's, a, of course. that's universal, you know? So even but if like, it wasn't doubly needed with the Mets. And like, I think it was a smart way to, I mean, that was a prospect for prospect trade, right? They like just kind of like swooped in at the last second. For yeah, they traded Valdez and Winkowski who they got yeah. for Mets for the league. Mm-hmm. Like they just kind of helped facilitate uh, the Benatendi trade, but that yeah, that was for the Mets' purpose. For the Mets' purposes, it was prospects for prospect because they valued an organizational need, and that's kind of what we were talking about before. Like they they saw that how just awful the outfield prospects were, and I think Zach Scott really liked him. Um, I think that what the story was. I can't remember, but it was was something. There was something, but um. But yeah, it was just like they kind of saw they had 
they swooped in on him, and then he's a legit prospect now for them. Then Zach Scott celebrated with a celebratory drink afterwards. Oh. Um. All right, now moving on to Double A Northeast, which is where the Binghamton Rumble Ponies played. At first base, the all-star was Mason Martin from the Altoona Curve. Second base was Oswaldo Cabrera from the Somerset Patriots. Shortstop was O'Neill Cruz from the Altoona Curve. Third base was Mark Vientos from the Binghamton Rumble Ponies. Catcher, Adley Rushman from the Bowie Bay Sox. Three outfielders were... that. Yeah. Uh, three outfields, Riley Green from the Erie Seawolves, Michael Beltray from the Somerset Patriots, and Jake Mangum from the Binghamton Rumble Ponies. The DH was Josh Lester, who plays with the Erie Seawolves. Right-handed pitcher is Grayson Rodriguez from Bowie. Left-handed pitcher was Juan Hillman from the Akron Rumble Ducks. And then the reliever all-star was Brian Marconi, who played with the Reading uh, Fighting Fields. So, uh, Vientos first, we, we mentioned, you know, Khalil Lee got off to a rough start and then he went insane and basically the same thing happened with Vientos. In, like, in, more extreme form. Yeah, too. In, in May, so his first 21 games, Vientos hit 231, 279, 410 with three homers and a 5 to 1 strikeout to walk ratio. And then in the 63 games over his next six, uh, uh, four months, he hit 295, 374, 632 with 22 homers and basically halved his strikeout to walk ratio to about two and a half to one. Uh, he hit 25 homers, the only guy in the system, the Mets system to do that and the most home runs by a Mets third base prospect since the triple A MVP, Adderlyn Rodriguez, who <laughs> hit 24 in 2012. Uh, Talk about a, a, a team for Steve. <laughs> yeah. Adeline Rodriguez at first. Marvientos at third. Hell yeah. I mean, you, you, I, you have some fucking awful defense on this infield. Just horrible. <laughs> I do want to say I was a Vientos big, big, big hater, and he was Same. so good this year. <laughs> like, at some point I was just like, all right, I guess he's good now. Like, I don't, I don't know how to else to explain it. He just hits home runs every day. Like, at like various levels of competition too. Yeah, it's not even like he was he got moved up and hit, right? Like he was just I good. I remain skeptical. Of course. Like I'm not saying like he's a star now, but Yeah, we all know what the deal is with him. Listen, but it's I'm, certainly interesting. I'm in the conductor seat on this train and there's room for you guys. <laughs> I, I mean I'm I might even be I don't know that my opinion has changed all that much from preseason. As dumb as that may sound, like Double A was pretty bad this year, um, in terms of pitching. But oh, we'll see. Hey, I hope he proves me wrong. Listen, the last time the Mets had a 21-year-old third base prospect who split the season between Double A and Triple A, it worked out pretty good. Okay. Yeah, 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 definitely. For kicks, because I looked it up. Do you want to know what David Wright's numbers were that year? I don't know, like 350, 400, 550? Yeah, pretty much. He played 91 games, 60 of them with the B-Mets, and then 31 with the Norfolk Tides. He hit 341, 441, 605 with 18 homers, 
Wait, wait, wait. Here's where 18 homers, 22 stolen bases, 55 walks, and 60 strikeouts. God, David Wright was so 91 good. Something else, man. He was so good. Mm-hmm. And somehow, Baseball America ranked him the 21st best prospect. MLB.com well, ranked him the 29th best prospect. That was wrong. Baseball prospectus, they knew what was up, and they ranked him fifth. True. Of course, David Wright was ranked as the fifth best prospect. That's perfect. Yeah, oh, that is perfect. Number one, Joe Maurer. Can't yep. argue with that. Yeah. <laughs> Number two, Jeremy Reed. LOL. Ooh, yikes. Number three, Andy Marte. LOL. And number four, Prince Fielder. Can't really argue with that. Yeah, he he was real good. And also, Jake Mangum was an all-star. Yes, Jake Mangum. All-star. Hit more home runs this year than his entire last eight seasons combined. So, two? (laughs) Basically, (laughs) in his entire... Nine. Nine. I think it was his entire SEC career, right? He hit more home runs this year? than. Yeah. Yeah, he uh he got he, he came out of the gate strong, he cooled off a bit mid year and then he finished strong. And he had a combined uh two eighty five, three thirty seven, four fifty four, with a career high nine homers with Binghamton, uh and Brooklyn. Nine games in Brooklyn and then seventy five in Binghamton. Good for him. You know what though? I think that I mean I don't know if he's gonna be a two eighty five hitter, but he, if you go and I th- I've mentioned this, oh, did I mention this before? I don't know. Or it might have been a player of the week thing that I did, I wrote up. But if you look at his, his splits, there are actually some legitimate changes that he made that might make him more legit of a guy. Basically in college, you know, he was a, a slap happy gap hitter. But this year he pulled the ball a lot more. He pulled the ball about 15% more. He cut down on his ground ball rate. He increased his fly ball rate by about 10%. So more balls were put in the air, they were pulled, and the home runs went up. So I don't know if that changes the needle much, but, you know, it's nicer to see him hitting for a little bit of power than just kind of being a, a Luis Castillo, you know? I mean, like, I don't think he'll ever start, but, like, if he's going to be your fourth outfielder or whatever, or fifth even, like, right, he, exactly. has, like he still he's, has to do that. His right. ultimate upside was always kind of like a fourth outfielder, defensive replacement kind of guy, but to see that profile with a more competent bat, that's nice to see. Mm. Yeah, because even nowadays, like, your bench players hit home runs. Like, he's like a 1970s-ass player, but still. All right, now we'll move on to the high A East where the Brooklyn Cyclones played. First base all-star was Blaine Krim from the Hickory Crawdads. Second base was Nick Gonzalez from the Greensboro Grasshoppers. Shortstop was Ronnie Mauricio from the Brooklyn Cyclones. Third base was Jared Triolo from the Greensboro Grasshoppers. Catcher was Francisco Alvarez from the Brooklyn Cyclones. The three outfielders were Matt Frazier from the Greensboro Grasshoppers. Jordan Kisar from the Bowling Green Hot Rods. And Tyler Dearden from the Greensville Grasshoppers. Uh, Barrow, excuse me. At shortstop was Jalen Ortiz from the Jersey Shore Blue Claws. The starting right-handed pitcher was Quinn Priester from the Grasshoppers. Lots of pirates, man. Yeah, a lot of pirates. Jeez. 
Left-handed pitcher was Jacob Lopez from the Bowling Green Hot Rods. And the reliever all-star was Blake Brown from the Jersey Shore Blue Claws. Uh, Alvarez, we can talk about him first because it's really hard to find anything bad to say. <laughs> yeah. Start of the year, St. Lucie got promoted to Brooklyn after about two weeks or so and hit a combined 272-388-554 in 99 games with 24 homers, 55 walks, 89 strikeouts. He would have been one of the youngest players in the Lowe Southeast if he stayed with St. Lucie for all the season. Uh, he was the youngest player in the high A East and he was a catcher to boot. And he still ended the year fourth in OPS among players that played 80 or more games. And if you want to expand a little bit, he ended the year 12th in OPS among players that played in 50 or more games. I feel like, I feel like Ken deserves a victory lap on this yeah, one. I mean, he tried mm-hmm. to tell us. We were all witnesses. Yep. Yep. He called that a mile away. Adley Rushman should be at the major league level, and Francisco Alvarez should be the top catching prospect in baseball. Goddamn Orioles. <sighs> They're not bringing him up, right? And it's going to be annoying. Yeah, he's definitely. He's he's going to spend all of next year. Travis time. Yeah, yeah, like that's what I I expect. What Ken said that he doesn't play at all in the majors next year. Really? No, I don't think they can get away uh, with that. Uh, well, they're going to they're going to Chris Bryant. They're gonna they're gonna do some they're gonna say some wild stuff and be like he's got to work on his base running and just. Well, someone that does need to work on a couple of things is Ronnie Mauricio. Yeah. Um, honestly, I was a little surprised that he won All-Star Honors, and I do think that it was kind of more of his name uh, because the numbers were kind of underwhelming. And Wasn't, some of the uh, Leo over Pugero in the same league. I don't understand how you give this to Mauricio over Pugero, I th- and I think they're in the same league. If I'm wrong on that, well, whatever. Yeah, but he hit Mauricio 242-290-449, which is, like I said, it's a bit underwhelming. The good, because we'll talk about the good, he did hit 20 home runs, 19 with the Cyclones and one with Binghamton. And, you know, uh, Maimonides Park can be a tough hitting park. But the bad, he did strike out 122 times to 26 walks. So that's a a 5-to-1 ratio, which is not good. And the defense did not always look... Uh, good. But he was 20. We'll, we'll cut him a little bit of slack. He was 20. That is three years younger than league average, which makes what Alvarez did even more uh, impressive because Alvarez is younger. But, yeah, it's just... Uh, Alvarez is a case of the best-case scenario, and Mariso, I, I wouldn't say it's, like, worst-case scenario, but it just, you know, they tried. I don't think it's, yeah. I don't think it's worst case scenario with him, but it's just like the more I think about him, the less I understand what his ceiling is. Like, I'm, I mean, the ceiling's huge. Like, we had, we had. I mean, the player right now that he is. You know what I'm saying? Like, I still think there's a huge range because, like, Jeff went yeah. to a game and he made four eight level shortstop plays in the same game. I mean, when I saw him, I saw him live once this year, and he was great at shortstop. Like, yeah, the, the he ceiling. made multiple good plays, and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> The ceiling is Javier Baez, a guy that can make yeah, can really good shortstop plays and will hit bombs, but he doesn't walk, he doesn't hit for average, he just hits bombs and does good 
strikeout, uh, uh, shortstop thing. Yeah, but Mauricio doesn't have the, the... He doesn't have the bats and ball skills for that. No. That's something that... But I mean, who does? I, if Javier Baez <laughs> takes walks, he's one of the... He also like, doesn't if, have the power to do that. Yeah. You don't like, think so, that Mauricio has the power? I think... I he does not have Javier Baez's power. Uh, no. I don't Javier know. Javier Baez I, might have, like... Eight power. <laughs> Javier Baez has eight power. Eight raw. A hundred percent. Like, if Javi Baez doesn't have eight raw, I don't know who does. Does he have eight game power? No, probably not. Because he swings at everything. Well, I mean, the only player with eight game power is Jake Magnum. <laughs> I don't, I don't know that we've seen, oh. like, I don't know that Mauricio has, like, probably a six raw power. Seven I, I, I think power. it's. I think he has eight raw. I mean, I don't think he has eight raw. And he also can't hit, so it doesn't matter. Right, I mean, I at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter if you're not hitting enough. But he needs to make a massive. His biggest problem is a total inability. It's one of two things, right? He either cannot recognize spin, in which case he's fucked, or he has no uh, 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 coherent approach. Yes, in which case he's I, also fucked. That is what I think. Uh, he's only twenty. Right. Like, I mean. I don't think like, these guys. These guys don't usually figure it out, though. Like, like learning how to hit is hard. I, I feel yeah. like we really over. I mean, I'm going on my usual rant here. We overvalue these t- heavy tools based guys and just look at them and say, "Man, imagine if you can hit." And then most of them never hit. <laughs> so, so what yeah, but the ones here? that do, the ones that do hit. <laughs> sure, you're you're not wrong, but like, I feel it's I chasing feel like upside. I feel like if they hit, they're gonna hit, they're gonna hit earlier than this. And yeah, sure, we can chase upside, but we should also be realistic yeah. about what that means, right? I don't see how, I don't understand how this is a top 50 prospect, but I hope some other team thinks he's a top 50 prospect and they trade him for that. I feel like a Mar- uh, Mariso is a guy who has kind of lived off of his reputation and as a result, he's never really been sat down and been I don't know how to put it. Like, I don't think it's just reputation. I, I think it's literally being too good at. Well, like, it's the Ahmed had the same problem. I think he got away with just being better at bat to ball than the pitchers were at throwing him stuff, basically throughout the entire minor leagues, and he never had to learn how to lay off stuff or how to develop a coherent approach. And then the second he got to the majors, he couldn't lay off a slider loan away. And I see basically the same thing happening with Mauricio. And we're going to constantly see, like see a glimmer of him tomahawking a ball at his eyes out of the ballpark and be like, wow, that was incredible. And then look at his batting line. He's batting 240, 290. Yeah. Well, I mean, he, like we said, he, he's 20, turning 21 next year. There's still plenty of time. But... Definitely would like to see him take some steps next year. Yes, I would like to see that too. Now the final level, low A Southeast, where St. Lucie plays. The first base uh, all-star is P.K. Morris from the Dunedine Blue Jays. The second base all-star is Trevor Haver from the Tampa Tarpons. Shortstop is Orvelis Martinez from the Dunedine Blue Jays. Third base is Jose Peroza from the St. Lucie Mets. Catcher is Andy Rodriguez from the Bradenton Marauders. The three outfielders are Victor Mesa Jr. 
from the Jupiter Hammerheads. Um, Stuart Baroa from the Dunedine Blue Jays. And Alan Serta from the Daytona Tortugas. The DH is Addison Barger from the Tortugas. The right-handed pitcher is Adrian Florencio from the Bradenton Marauders. The left-handed pitcher was Nasuel Polino from the Dunedin Blue Jays. Okay, and Blue Jays, relax. Yeah. <laughs> and the reliever all-star is Emmanuel Mejia from the Bradenton Marauders. So the only Mets guy here, Jose Peroza, he ended up hitting 253-65-421 with 12 homers, 54 walks, and 100. 11 strikeouts in 102 games split between St. Lucie and Brooklyn. Spent about two-thirds of the year St. Lucie and then a third of Brooklyn. And he posted a 136 WRC plus in St. Lucie, which is well above average. And then 82 in Brooklyn, which is not well below average, but not, you know, not it's it's a bit above low average. Um, yeah. He was 21, which is two years younger than the league average in the high East this year. And as an international prospect, you know, a lot of times those guys develop um, slower with certain baseball skills compared to domestic guys' college experience. But all in all, you know, it was, it was a good season for Peroso. It was an encouraging to see. Um, he hit 12 homers, and he's a guy that's noted for having real power. So it's good to see, you know, he, he's been able to tap into the raw power and translate it in-game. Um, you know, maybe that increases a little bit more, some swim, some swing optimizations. Maybe the, the ability to put bat on ball increases with some optimizations there, you know. Uh, definitely a guy that, you know, maybe a tweak or two and he puts himself really on the map. Um, yeah, I agree. He's He's someone who could explode like do stuff and then be a legit prospect yeah i think I'd rather that, i'd rather rank him 10th than carlos cortez yeah, <laughs> yeah i was gonna say i think that he will be on lists this year um but you know a a good season next year and he could go from like a guy on a list to a legit guy on on in system you know i think he has a good eye which is a nice base for um like obviously the obp says that but like when i saw him he was like they were just throwing him curveballs, and he was just mm-hmm. not swinging at them. <laughs> like, like he 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 looked bad on one, and then the game plan the rest of the game was just throw him stuff in the dirt, and he just didn't swing at it. He was just like okay, and he didn't even offer at it. It was he knew they were coming, and he took and he laid off of them, and it was a really smart approach by him, knowing what was coming. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I, that stuff was like, oh okay, I see why he has an OBP like that, even after just the one the few at bats that I saw. Yeah, I mean he's. I, I do like him, so. Me too. I like him too. Hopefully he pops. Um, he really hasn't come up at any point in the season in any of our discussions, but there was a name there that should be familiar. Andy Rodriguez. Mm. The yeah, Lucchese trade. Um He's been good. He yeah, he's been good. He was, he was like kind of ho-hum. Oh, that's interesting all year. And then he finished on fire. Yep. End of the year hitting 294, 308, uh, excuse me, 380, 512 with 15 homers. And is one of the, uh, Pirates' top 15 prospects in their system. So 
from July onward, he hit 326, 411, 455 with a uh, close to a one to one strike to walk out ratio and nine homers in 218 at bats. Not bad. As a catcher. As a catcher, as a, as a catcher and then some, because he as also a, play the outfield, uh, first yeah. and the outfield, yeah. A 21 year old catcher in single A, like <sighs> that's things a little bit. I didn't obviously, have a problem with that trade, but this is what happens when you're bad at self scouting. Yeah, I, obviously you need more than just one season to evaluate these kind of things because remember Neraldo Catalina and how we were all kicking ourselves. He oh yeah yeah. He kind of shit the bed. He's terrible. So, you know, Rodriguez could have a good year this year, and then next year he's just completely overmatched and looks lost. Mm-hmm. But at, at least the process here was okay. You know, it was, it, it was a bad it was process fine. with Catalina from start to the end. At least the process here was with Lucchese, you know, it softens the blow if if it works out completely in the Pirates' favor. But also yeah, sometimes right. when you're trying to win, you this happens. Like you need to trade for the the controllable starter who's around and the young prospect who you give up pop pops and then that's you kinda kinda have to deal with it, you know. Mm-hmm. Like if you're gonna lose trades, I'd rather lose them this way than trading like a big time guy for someone and missing on it. Right. At the end of the day, though, I mean, who needs Andy Rodriguez when you have Francisco Alvarez, right? True. Sure, that probably helps. Like, although, on the Mets, on the although Mets he, with like his whole twelve games, whatever of experience in the outfield, he would instantly be like one of the Mets' top outfield prospects. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. But yeah, so those are the Mets' twenty twenty one All Stars. Hopefully, next season. Uh, you know, everything starts on time in April, and they actually have, like, an All-Star game mid-year and everything. Yeah, that'd be nice. All right, well, let's wrap things up with the Will Pondry of the Week. And not really sure who the Will Pond of the Week here is in this story, but basically, like a couple of days ago, Christian Cinema, a senator from from Arizona, she was confronted by a bunch of activists, and her response was literally to run away and hide in the bathroom. So I don't know. I don't know if she's the Wilpon of the week because at this point she just gives no fucks anymore that people see how you know fully corrupt she is and and. Doesn't give a shit about anyone who isn't giving her money and literally runs and locks herself in the bathroom. That's pretty Wilpani. On the other hand, though, like half of the editorials from from media sources are basically poo-pooing what the activists did because I guess the bathroom is like sacred ground. And See, that's tr- that's to me seems the more Wilpani element, right? Because the key to yeah. Wilponery, in my opinion is a uh inflated sense of self-confidence that you are in fact the smartest person in the room mm-hmm. not not it's not just blatant corruption or or shittiness like cinema it's no i'm right and all you people criticizing me are wrong fuck you 
is I think it's much more the media narrative around it. That that sounds that does sound Wilpanian. Wilpani. Like Jeff Jeff wasn't intentionally bad at his job. He wanted the Mets to be good. He was just an idiot. And yeah, like the Wilpons wanted to win. They just didn't know how. <laughs> And they weren't smart enough to go out and get people that did know how. Also, they were too proud to do that. Yeah. Like, yeah. like I, I think they wanted to win and also wanted to be the reason. And also, they didn't know how to do it, so they lost all the time. <laughs> That's why Wilpon really is a word. All right. Well, if anyone has any questions, comments, whatever, you can send us an email at our email address from complexbeans at gmail.com. And here comes the yawn that I always make when I'm doing this part. I've been like Pavlovianly <sighs> hypnotized here. <sighs> All right. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter and shoot us questions there. I'm at Steve Saipa. Lucas is at ElVlahos343. Ken is at KenLevin91. And Thomas is at SaidMedSeason, S-Z-N. Subscribe to our podcast, wherever you get your podcast from, and rate and review it. And, of course, we thank you for listening, especially Ringo. (laughs) We will be back next week. So until then, love the Mets, love the Mets.